Hello and welcome. My name is Michael Kaplan, and I am your host for The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. Once again, we come to you from our studio on the beautiful campus of The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Alley's Vintage Camera Alley has become a staple in the film camera community's clearinghouse of information, research, history, and technique. Alley's well-defined approach to helping those interested in investing time and energy into this wonderful hobby is refreshing and candid, and we all benefit from her website and YouTube channel. Whether it be a simple fix to aid in the resurrection of a vintage camera, or a review of a film stock or recent acquisition, there is always something to be gained by tuning in. When we return, Alyssa Chiarello, the collector as altruist. And we're back. You're listening to The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. Allie Chiarello joins us for an in-depth discussion. Welcome, Allie, to The Ephemeral Machine, and thanks for joining me for another in our series of Silver Halide sessions. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, thanks for your time, Ali. Um, I, I appreciate um, you spending some time with, uh, with me today talking about some things related to uh, camera collecting. And um, when I, when I uh, talk to a guest and I, I, I have a, um, this kind of interview session with them, I like to start at a place where we sort of have a, a, an understanding of how you became invested in the process of film photography. So could you um, kind of bring us back a little bit and talk about uh, where this sort of all began? Sure. Um, so really, I became interested in photography after my father passed away in around 1988 or 1998. Um, he loved photography. He always had a camera with him my entire childhood, the entire time I knew him. So when he passed away, it was like my way of uh, connecting with him, I guess. And it was an interest I had. Um, so I, that's when I bought my first camera and it just kind of took off from them. I was, uh, I think I was 11 years old. So it took off from there. <laughs> I understand. So, so your, your, your sort of your introduction to, to, um, film photography was prompted by, you know, sort of a development from your father and, and his interest in things like that. So, um, in, in terms of sort of keeping that interest alive, um, you know, is this, um, is film photography something that you sort of kind of stuck with or, or did it, uh, were there uh, sort of movements into digital? I'm just trying to get a sort of a yeah. here. Yeah, because uh, he died in 98. So obviously digital started coming in. And then um, I went, when I started college, I went for an art degree. So I took photography classes, but it was digital. But I continued with photography, but it was mostly digital until recently. I understand. Um, so, so what then prompted you to kind of look at the camera, the film camera, as something that um, you know you might be interested in uh, obtaining for on a sort of a hobby collector basis? Um, I've always been a collector. I have been collecting since I was a kid. Different things. Um, I love history. I love the 1960s and 50s specifically, and. I'm kind of obsessed with my parents' era, <laughs> the 50s and 60s. So my mom told me she had a Kodak Brownie growing up and that kind of like fascinated me. And I found one 
at a um, antique shop. I think I was 15 years old. And I just started to, from there, collecting any, you know, box cameras, anything I would find that was nice for decoration. Because like I said, at that point, film wasn't available anymore. So I couldn't shoot them. So it was really for decoration at that point. And that's really what started it. So, so you looked at a camera then uh, purely for its aesthetic value. Yeah, and history. And... And what about the history exactly did you find so interesting that uh, prompted you to sort of keep going with this? For me, what fascinates me with all of my cameras is thinking about who held it at some point, you know, what it saw, that kind of history. <clears throat> Not so much, like I love finding out how, you know, when they were made and things like that. But for me, it's the history of who used it. That's, that's what it fascinates me. Interesting. Okay, yeah. so so there's a there's the what there's a a, a a definite sort of interest in tracking the lineage potentially of who used the camera, um, mm -hmm. and um, also in obviously the manufacturing and the design and things like that. Yeah. So um, you are are sort of on this track. You're interested in film photography. Um, you look at a camera aesthetically. Um, you realize it has potential value, not only in terms of its ability to obviously take photographs, but also to represent something historically and also connected to um, perhaps a personal use. Um, where, where did this sort of the jump come to where you realized you needed more than uh, maybe just one camera? <laughs> um, I would blame eBay for that, <laughs> but it, it really started when I got sick um, and being stuck in the bed and um, it kind of was a comfort and something to distract me. Um, so that was really when it started to take off and, and finding them on eBay and, and Facebook too and the, the different groups seeing what everybody had and knowing there was so many cameras out there that kind of kick-started it forward, you know, sped it forward. Okay. Well, I, and we're going to actually, we're going to sort of um, come around to uh, the role of uh, the camera in terms of, um, you know, rehabilitation and helping you to deal with um, some of your health concerns. Um, so as this, the collection grew, at, at what pace did it seem to, to grow? And I mean, how quickly did this thing become sort of clear that it was going to be an investment in your life? Um, at first it wasn't, it wasn't until I was older. Cause like I said, I was 15 when I got my first one, but, um, when I, like I said, later when I was sick, that's when it really started to go faster. And I would have people, uh, my uncle would send me boxes of them that he would find. And so then it really quickly started to grow. Wow. Well, it sounds like uh, <laughs> it's nice to receive all those cameras and yeah. sort of look through them. Um, so, so just in terms of, of of its growth, you know how um, compared to perhaps uh, today versus how this first thing started. Do you see this sort of accelerating, or is it kind of slowed down a little bit, or have you reached sort of a plateau in your collection? Um, what are yeah. we looking at here? I've reached kind of a plateau, especially because I'm shooting with them now. It's kind of changed the direction of what I'm doing. The reason I'm collecting now has kind of changed, whereas before it was aesthetic. Now it's really shooting i'm taking pictures with them so i'm that's how i'm choosing them 
Um, so there's not, I'm kind of at a point where there's not really anything else I'm looking for. So like I said, my uncle, he'll still send me some that he finds at flea markets and stuff, but that's really all how it's growing at this point. Okay. So your, your, your acquisition choices are prompted by whether or not you feel you're going to be able to actually use them in a, in a, in photography. Lately. Yeah. It wasn't always like that, but now, yeah, I want the ones that I, you know, it depends on what I'm shooting at this point. Okay. All right. Um, well, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty common approach to, to, um, to a collection. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, there's, there's variables in terms of how a camera collector looks at their collection and you have a, sort of these polar opposites where you have a collector who simply collects for the purpose of having or ascertaining the cameras. And then you mm-hmm. have sort of the other end of that spectrum where, a collector um, collects for using those cameras. So mm-hmm. at this point, um, are you sort of in the in the camp where um, you know every camera you acquire, um, you feel you should be able to use in a in a photographic process? <laughs> Basically, yeah. That's I try. That's ma- um, mainly what I started my channel for. Was I wanted to now now that film was becoming available, I wanted to go through my collection again and see if I can actually bring them back to life and shoot them. Um, so at this point, yeah, that is basically the ones I buy now if I could use them. If I see one that's really interesting, if I see someone that, um, like on Facebook, if I see one that's really cool, even though it can't be shot with, I I may still like to add it to my collection, but mainly that's what I do. I want to shoot with them. Okay. And, um, we're going to, we're going to circle back to, um, to the YouTube channel and also to the blog, um, but I, I, I kind of want to get a sense of so, sort of where we are with the collection right now. Um, so where does it stand in terms of, um, you know, the amount of cameras and where you think this might sort of end up as a, as a sort of a line of delineation, let's say. Um, I have about a hundred cameras right now. <laughs> okay. um, I'm running out of room, so I think it's kind of stopped, <laughs> but um yeah, that's. A, I think it's kind of stopped. <laughs> okay, and and of those uh, of those uh, hundred cameras, um, are do most of them sort of uh, function in a way that you're actually able to go out and shoot with them? Most of them. I have a lot of folders, a lot of folding cameras. That was what I mainly was collecting when I was doing just aesthetic. And their bellows are not light light tight, so those don't really get used. But any of the other cameras, I try to use them. Okay. So, so you're looking now at a, um, a process for acquisition and, um, you know, whether or not it's kind of slowed down or not, um, up to this point, what, what prompted your choices? Um, was it, uh, brand specific? Was it, um, where the the camera was made? Was it the style of camera in terms of genre? What exactly was a determining factor? Um, yeah, I guess it was mainly like, well, I'm trying to think. Recently, more recently, it was what I was, what format I was using. So like at first I was using just 35 millimeters. So I collected a lot of Nikon F, Canons. Um, and then I started to get finally into medium format. So then I um, wanted an Amimiya RB. And um, I had my actual first um, medium format was my Rolleiflex and so really that, that's what informs it. And um, yeah, mainly what I'm shooting at that point and what I'm interested to find, to shoot next and things like that. I have 127 cameras, so I wanted to try that. 
um, because you can get some 127 film or make your own. Mm -hmm. So it's really that. So how um, how invested are you in um, the role of the camera um, in terms of the photographic process? That is, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, 127 um, format um, and perhaps rolling your own or, or slitting film or things like that. Is that a length that you would go to in order to be able to use your camera out in the field? Absolutely. I mean, um, I bought a kit from Italy to make my own uh, 127 film from 120, but I haven't used it yet because um, it's intimidating. But um, you can buy it from like FPP, uh, Film Photography Project and stuff. So I've done that, but I haven't yet made the leap to make my own. Mm -hmm. But I will. I absolutely want to do that. If it's possible to do it, I'll, I'll try to do it. To use yeah, I, I, I imagine it would be a daunting task. I mean, basically everything has to be done in the dark, so you sort of have mm -hmm. to feel your way through it. But it, it's so interesting that you mentioned, you know, the availability of film because, I mean, I think if we look at that, we see how, you know, um, access to odd formats allows a collector to pursue acquisition in a in a sort of a refreshing and different way. So that where you might shy away from a one twenty seven format camera. Now you have that ability to say, well, I'm going to acquire this. Um, and I'm not only that, I'm going to be able to use it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's, you know, an, an interesting sort of turn because it allows a, a collector to expand on, on the breadth of the collection. Um, yeah. especially if, you know, if you're an, sort of active in, in making sure that your collection um, can be used, um, for photography. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really, um, Actually, that's very nice. Um, you know, when you find that there are cameras, I mean, everybody talks about the, the Kodak Bantam um, because it uses such an odd format that isn't readily available. So you kind of look at this camera, which is gorgeous and Art Deco and things like that. And you say, mm -hmm. well, you know, am I going to acquire this for aesthetic purposes or am I going to, to say, well, you know, no on this because i actually can't go out and shoot with it so i think it, it it's interesting that the re resurgence of film photography has allowed for us to kind of pinpoint those um uh, uh, odd formats and and mm -hmm. sort of progress with that um great so um so when you look at this then um let's let's circle back to how you've kind of spread out um, via social media um, and you become sort of more um, connected to people in a few different ways. But before I, I because I, I sense that everything sort of is going hand in hand here. So um, when did um, sort of the entity of Alley's Vintage Camera Alley sort of um, um, become something tangible? Um, <clears throat> well, that started... Um... I had a, I have Crohn's disease, so I had a pretty bad flare up. I've been dealing with it for about 12 years now. Mm -hmm. And um, two years ago, I think it was, I was in the hospital for a while. And when I came home, I couldn't, um, I couldn't walk. And they thought it was from the amount of steroids they had me on. So I was kind of stuck in the bed. And at this point, it's 10 years on constantly in and out of the hospital, just really can't deal with this anymore <laughs> so when I was laying there you know I was on the Facebook pages uh, vintage camera pages and collecting and um seeing everybody what they have and it you know like I said I went on eBay and was getting cameras and then I got a Argus C3 you know the brick 
mm-hmm. and um, I looked up online how you know to some information about it. I found Mike Ekman, and he had you know his comprehensive articles about it, and he had something about how to fix the viewfinder, and that's what I needed in order to shoot with it because I couldn't see it through it; it was so grimy in there. And when I went through the steps of uh, cleaning it, I filmed myself doing it. Um, to make sure I knew how to get back and you know what I mean, like taking it apart. And then, um, so once I saw that it was pretty simple and that there was a lot of people out there that might need to do it, I put it on YouTube just to help other people who might also want to do it. And once I started getting emails from people saying that it actually helped them, it kind of, not only did it give me comfort and people to talk to that, that were out there doing the same thing, um, but it made me feel good. I had some kind of purpose, you know, being stuck in bed, but I could still do this and talk to people and, you know, mm-hmm. so. I, I see. So, um, so, and, and that's what I suspected that this sort of um, also generated out of a need to feel connected to people yes. and also be able to find a way to um, deal with your, um, your recovery rehabilitation and everything that's sort of connected to it and you know that's why it's so interesting to talk to you about this because you know we find that um um, collectors um sort of build their collections in a lot of different ways and you know there's this whole notion of the psychology of collecting um but here we are looking at um a, a place where the the camera collection has become something that has helped you to overcome some serious issues in your life, um, mm-hmm. um, some some physical issues, some health issues, yeah. and I, I don't think we necessarily always see that. Um, and I and I think that's really where this idea really stands out. So, um, did the um, the blog exist first or the YouTube channel? The YouTube channel, the video came first. Um, I think I'm trying to remember, but um, then I think at that point uh, it it was a lot to make a video, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so writing was really better for me, like kind of like a journal. So I started the blog kind of as a journal to meet people and to follow along with what I was doing. And then eventually Mike really encouraged me to continue to make those videos. And so then I would make the video to go with the blog article. And that's when how it kind of both of them took off that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's interesting that I, um, you know, you 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 mentioned Mike Ekman and um, you know his his comprehensive historical uh, <laughs> reviews of of cameras. Um, mm-hmm. it, they seem to be never ending, um, <laughs> and you know it's a great resource. And but it but is, I also yeah. happen to know that you know Mike has supported you in other ways, and that is um, made certain cameras available to you for oh, yeah. your own for trying out and seeing how you feel about them and things like that. That's really a unique opportunity. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the cameras that I review on my channel, especially the Soviet cameras. Uh, Mike will send me to try them out and he lets me keep them for a while and I review them Um, and it kind of opens different doors to me things that I wouldn't have known before you know I didn't know anything about Soviet cameras and things like that so I think it's awesome in the film community I see a lot of people doing that where they you know lend each other cameras and you know I think it's great yeah I mean I uh, he's got he's got one of mine Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he has a Voigtlander Vito 3 which um, oh, nice. and and you know it's interesting because the reason 
the reason that I, I sent it to him was because I was looking through his reviews and I was curious to see what cameras he were part of his collection. So, um, you know, it, it prompted me to say, hey, you know, this is I have a Vito three. Are you interested in reviewing it? Um, so off it went. So when the review comes up you now, I feel like I've contributed in some way, which is kind of interesting. And, and yeah. it, it's certainly a lot of fun. Um, so so the YouTube channel sort of grew. And then as a result of you desiring to write a little bit, you know, the blog sort of occurred and things like that. And now they're both sort of a, a resource for people to not only see your photographic work, but also to see kind of the cameras in your collection and things like that. Um, you you um, tapped into the notion of simple repairs in a way that allowed um, other people to kind of go about this in a, in a, uh, a way that they felt uh, more encouraged. So mm -hmm. what, what exactly is the place where the, sort of this developed in terms of, um, you know, your ability to, to get this information out to people? Um, you mean like what, what made me want to share it with people? Well, yeah. And, and, and to what extent do you, do you push the notion of, you know, uh, repairing your own work and repairing your own kind yeah. things like that? Um, I mean, to an, it's, there is definitely parameters to it. There's, you can only do it to an extent, obviously the, the cameras that I repair are really just quick and dirty fixes. It's for people that just want, uh, you know, we can't afford to send it out or, and this wouldn't apply to a Leica or, you know, anything intricate. This is mostly for people who find a box camera at a flea market and, or their grandpa gives them one, which I get a lot. I get a lot of people messaging me um, and the shutter just sticks a little. So, I, you know, you can put a little Ronsonol on the shutter and it's fine because it's two pieces put together. Mm -hmm. um, you obviously would not do that to a Leica or something, but um, or even I have videos on um, replacing the light seals, which, again, is just a quick and dirty way to get. You're, you know, you might have an SLR sitting around and you want to use it, but it's sticking or, you know, something like that. So I've had a lot of people say, oh, thank you so much. You know, I can finally now I could shoot my dad's camera or something. Mm -hmm. um, so really, it was just that it was supposed to be a way to get people started and to show you can, you know, clean that camera up. Don't throw it out. You know, don't get rid of it. You can use it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was just to encourage people. Yeah, and that's really nice. I mean, I think that you sort of tapped into something that allows people to um, sort of progress in a way that they they wouldn't have been able to before your um, your support in that area. So uh, once again, I see this all sort of coming around, uh, sort of circling around this notion of recovery and helping you to sort of overcome um, some of the the hurdles that you faced, and um, it's so nice to see that you are clearly on on the other side of of a good portion of that. So yeah. um, you know, it, it's it's great to see how this sort of model is working to mm -hmm. support you, and uh, as a result, you're able to support other people to yeah. find their focus. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, more about your um, the way that you approach a camera and the way that you kind of look at it. Um, so we talked about uh, early on your, your, your feeling about the history of the camera and things like that. Um, which camera stands out for you as the, 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 the ones that seem to represent something um, that really, really presents historically for you, something that, that is significant so that you can actually put your finger on it and say, this camera means something special to me. 
Um, hmm, that's hard. <clears throat> I think um, I think my Kodak vest pocket cameras, you know how they have the different ones, the diamond door, the thunder door or lightning door. Um, I don't know. There's something about them. I think they come from like the 30s, 1930s, that era, 40s. Um, there's something about them that they're my favorite, I think, in my collection and probably the most earliest that I started to collect. And to me, again, I think, especially for women, they're not there. You don't think of women using cameras back in that era. And because these were kind of geared towards them, they came with lipstick, things like that in a little clamshell purse. Um, I loved that. I loved the thought of a woman back in the 30s or whatever, <laughs> putting that in her purse and she had a camera. And that just I don't know that that history touches me personally. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a really good answer. Um, you know, when you look at a camera and you see it for what it represents, not only in terms of what it's, um, what it's capable of, um, but what you imagine it was, um, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, um, you know, ownership and presentation and things like that, um, at that particular time. Um, so, so in, in this sort of journey to acquisition where um besides receiving boxes of camera from your uncle um where did you sort of tap into uh the the acquisition what were your resources it was mostly ebay at first um and then uh once i had the youtube i had people send me cameras once in a while uh viewers and stuff people will find them or like one guy found a canon in his closet and he googled you know does anybody use these anymore and he found me so he sent it to me hoping i'd find a good home for it or something to do with it you know and um yeah so mostly ebay then keh and people Mm -hmm. giving them to me okay terrific um yeah that seems to be the common place where a lot of people are finding their cameras um and and do you see um certainly availability has dropped off in terms of access yeah, it did for a while, especially medium format and the prices, woo. <laughs> yeah. Since, you know, as opposed to when I first started to now, it's pretty crazy, but it's all a good, I guess it's a good sign because it mm-hmm. means they're in demand. Um, but yeah, I think medium format is the hardest ones to find. If you, especially if you want to buy from the U.S., you don't want to go overseas. Um, that's the hard, it's hard to find some of them in the U.S., it's interesting that you mentioned uh, medium format. Um, there are two um, um, instances where I, I I picked up on your blog and also on your YouTube channel that um, I'd like to to kind of cover right now. The first is um, an instance where you used a Rolleiflex with a uh, 35 millimeter uh, mm-hmm. adapter, um, mm-hmm. which is, is really interesting because, you know, that sort of changes the whole idea behind the camera, its function and the way that you kind of use it. Plus it, it certainly changed it historically for what mm-hmm. it represents. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that, um, that sure. process and that experience? Yeah. So the Rolly Flex is actually one of the first cameras I got. Um, and back then you could only buy 35 millimeter film at Walmart. I had no idea what 120 film was there. It wasn't available and I couldn't get it developed if I did. <laughs> so um, that was the main reason I bought the Rolly Flex because I fell in love with it. I saw, I think it was around the time Vivian Meyer was becoming known and uh, I saw her with it and I loved it so much. And I wanted it just for my collection for aesthetic reasons, which is crazy to think now. Um, but it, 
that's the reason. Once I found out you could use um, an adapter and actually shoot with it, with, even if it was just 35 millimeter film, that's what I did. So that was the actual, the only camera I used at first. That was so, I know I get, I get comments from people saying, what are you doing? Why are you shooting 35 in that camera? But that was what it, its original purpose was for me. I don't do that anymore, but that's what it was because I couldn't it's, have access. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting. Um, there aren't that many um, uh, uh, medium format TLRs that were actually outfitted uh, yeah. for thirty five millimeter format. I mean, the Yashica six thirty five is another one that comes to mind, um, and um, the Rolleiflex that you're talking about. Uh, there were probably a handful of others, but it certainly changed the way that you look at the camera, and mm -hmm. you know you see it for um, a different approach to uh the, you know certainly um making photographs and working in the photographic process the mm -hmm. other instance um that i wanted to bring up and this is certainly much more connected to collecting which is why i found it so fascinating you know we talk about um the notion of uh, ephemera and, and that's kind of what this podcast is based on it's certainly its title and that is those elements those things that um that exist uh, uh for a moment um but as collectors you know we we have the ability to make those those elements uh last longer because we we sort of fit them into a specific place and um looking at your collection i noticed that one of your your uh your raleigh flexes um came with quite a bit of uh other ephemera Mm -hmm. um, which I found absolutely intriguing in terms of its design and things like that. So which camera was that? And he, can you talk a little bit about um, exactly what was part of that whole collection? Yeah, that was the Rolleiflex Automat, the one I was just talking about. The um, It came with the box, the, the case, everything. It, I, it came from its original user. Um, I bought that back when, like I said, when film wasn't really making a big comeback yet. Um, and it came with um, the the meter that's attached to the uh, lens hood and filters and their little, they had written notes on them and their card inside that connects it to the person that owned it. Like those kinds of things blow me away. I love that stuff. Like it shows the original person who owned it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it came with a lot of stuff and that was part of what made me buy it because it had that. Yeah. All the instruction manuals, you know, things like that. It's, it's something, I mean, you posted several pictures of it, um, on your blog and yeah. you know, the box is, is, is gorgeous. Um, yeah. you know, just in terms of the way that it's designed and, you know, so ornate and so much connected mm -hmm. to the time and when the camera was manufactured, those are the things that sort of expand on the notion of collecting and really yeah. give the, the camera a, uh, helps it to root it. Uh, historically, mm -hmm. which I think is something so interesting. Uh, are there any other cameras in your collection that are sort of connected historically in that way with with other materials that perhaps came with it or or something along those lines? Um, maybe my Nikon F collection. I was collecting, those are the first ones that I really started to buy more than one of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was mostly for the uh, atomic meters. Mm -hmm. And it's because I found that they had so many different variations of those meters. Um, and I loved that you could go down the line of how, as it progressed, you know, as the camera progressed through the time. So I bought those and I have one with each meter and um, I bought the right angle thing that you can connect to it um right right angle viewer um i have 
what do I have over there? Uh, filters, you know, things like that. Um, but no box, nothing like that. I don't. I think the Rolleiflex is the only one I have a box for, besides like my Kodak box cameras and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really interesting when you talk about the 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 sort of the lineage of of the Nikon F. Um, you know, it's it's not unusual for a collector to tap into a line of a camera and feel like they want to they they want to sort of collect all the individual sort of um changes um mm-hmm. you know i had the opportunity uh to have an interview with uh, vladislav kern who um of course is the force behind the ussr photo um whose camera collection i mean he is basically an archivist um okay. and he collects based on variants so you know of his thousands of cameras you may find one line that contains 20 different cameras with minimal changes, but they're significant in what they represent historically. And I think, you know, we do that to certain degrees. And I, and I feel like that's kind of what you were looking at when you're talking about your Nikons. Mm-hmm. You see the changes as they occur, and you feel like that connects you to the manufacturing process um, a little bit more emph- emphatically. And I think that's really interesting. You know, it's easy to go, obviously go overboard with that, but I think <laughs> it's, it's nice when a collector can at least find themselves um, a part of that to, a, to, to some degree. Um, yeah. I find that, um, you know, I, I, that's a, that's a sort of a very, um, a, sort of a nice place to be in, um, when you look at the collection overall. Um, so let, let me ask you this, um, you know, and I, I, I do try to stay focused on collection rather than the experience of, of photography, but this is one question that I think sort of covers both areas. Um, you decide you want to make some photographs. Um, how do you choose what you're going to use to, uh, to, to go about that process? Um, to me, the, the camera is absolutely what motivates me when I'm shooting. So like, um, it'll, it's a different camera every day. Like it may, it, it motivates me. I don't know how to explain it like while I'm holding it. Um, so each day it could be a different camera depending on how I'm feeling that day. Um, and which format I want to shoot and things like that. But it, like yesterday, I felt like shooting with my Nikon F. It, they just each feel differently, which is not something you can always get with digital cameras. Not, you know, not always, maybe from brand to brand. But like with film cameras, they're all so different. They all feel so different. And to me, I get motivated by the camera. So whatever I look at in the cabinet that day, if it motivates me, then I'll shoot with that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so you, is it a, um, sort of a, a, a process where you know exactly what it is that you're going to be using, or do you have to kind of stand there and decide, well, you know, uh, of, of my hundred cameras, you know, <laughs> what is, what am I, how am I feeling today? What am I going to choose? I usually actually know what I want, what I'm feeling that day, what I feel like shooting with, because I know how each one of them feels. And it's a different experience with each one of them. It probably sounds crazy, but they each feel different. You know, when you're shooting with them, they each have a different experience. And that kind of, you know what I mean? Like some of them are more manual, some of them are more automatic, things like that. So if I'm in the mood to really slow down and relax, um, I'll shoot with a really manual camera, Um, you know, things like that. 
you're, you're, when you say uh, it sounds crazy, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Okay. You're certainly, you're certainly speaking to somebody who has a similar experience. Mine is okay. not as, as seamless as yours. Um, um, I don't always know exactly what it is that I want to shoot with, but and it takes some time. Um, yeah. But I, 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 I have the same experience. You know, I look at my collection and then I say to myself, you know, what haven't I used for a while? What kind of experience do I want? Do I want to shoot SLR or rangefinder? Mm-hmm which format. So it really gives you this sort of ex- this, this experience of kind of looking at everything and deciding how you want your photographic experience to, 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 to be. And mm-hmm. you know, that's what makes the connection to a collection. So, so interesting. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, your role as, as a collector. Um, you know, we talked about it in terms of social media and the support that you have for the film um, photographic community, which is so, so dynamic and so interesting. Um, you know, I, I've, I recently had, um, some interesting conversations, not only with, um, Danielle Robleski, but also with, um, uh, a previous interview with Lisa Murphy. And we talked about the, the role of, of women in camera collecting. And, and I'd like to kind of hear your perspective on that, because, you know, we we kind of look at the, the field of of collecting cameras and there's no question about it. Um, it is uh, tends to be male centric. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder what your your perspective is on that and, and how you feel that if you feel things are changing or do they need to change or or is it just kind of one of those experiences? Yeah, um, I've definitely experienced that. Uh, it is a male-dominated hobby and area altogether. Photography is male-dominated, like a lot of things. And um, I touched on it a little with the vest pocket camera, the petite with the lipstick. And you can see that that's a point where they were actually advertising towards women. So I think mm-hmm. that's why it was so special for me, because you don't get that a lot. And in the advertising for cameras, you can see it was mainly towards men. Um, and I think that that's like a deeper conversation that it's kind of embedded in our society to assume that women aren't into these things. You know what I mean? They're not into technology or, you know, that's not something that's going to interest them. Um, But there are a lot of us out there. Um, So I think that what would need to change um, if something could be changed is that I think it's an unconscious thing happening. Cause like I said, it's embedded, I think in our society to assume this, so I think if men can be a little more conscious that this is could be happening, that we might they might not be including women or um, might assume that a woman doesn't really know what she's talking about, things like that. If we could be a little more aware that it is something that is happening and probably not on purpose, then maybe things could change. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly um, see that that perspective. I mean, I think. You know, I, I see um, that there is a, a, a fairly um, significant delineation between collecting and the actual shooting process and, and the act of photography mm-hmm. um, and in terms of, you know, the, the gender specificity of it. Um, and and the, the notion of, of women in photography is something that is sort of ongoing. And, mm-hmm. and there are discussions obviously in place and we see a lot of that going on. Um, and when we move to the collector side, it becomes something I think different um, yeah. because it's much more sort of intimate. 
you mm-hmm. know um and and i find that um you know the 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 notion of of collecting is a a social and a psychological one um and because it has a certainly a level of intimacy um perhaps it it doesn't speak outward as much as the other parts of of photography and and what i mean is that you know there are less times when the notion of being vocal is is sort of accessed or tapped into so um you know it's it's a really interesting question i don't really know what what the answer is um other than yeah it is complicated and you know i think what's so interesting is that um you know you 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 look at the notion of you know a um camera acquisition and making it part of your collection and it's almost you know sort of genderless in terms of you know the approach it just sort of is what it Mm -hmm. is um but you can't separate the the idea of the camera from the photographic process and that's where things start to change in -hmm. terms of gender specificity so I, i think it really is an interesting question and um i think your perspective is is um really on target so um you know i, I appreciate your candor um in that area um let's let's turn um back to um cameras themselves and talk about um things like um uh, how you display your cameras and, and things of that nature do you have a way that you like to display them? Do you do you battle any any climate issues, anything like that? Oh yeah, I mean I'm in Florida, so everything is humid and hot, um, but I and dusty. But I have uh, two cabinets that I have mine in now, so to protect them a little better from dust. Um, and I keep my home pretty cool, so it's not humid in here, but. Um, mostly just the cabinet and I have like LED lights to light up each um, shelf and things like that so so that I can see what I'm looking at and things like that but I don't have like a humid humidifier what do they have mm-hmm. those those cabinets that do control that I haven't gotten to that point yet but but so far that's what I have I understand yeah I, I um uh, early on in in the podcast history I, I spoke with Anthony Rue who um, lives in Gainesville and, um, you know, he, he fights this battle all the time. I mean, he literally has to keep his entire collection boxed and wrapped, um, with dry oh, wow. packs and, um, because of where he's located so that, you know, every step of his process involves choosing a camera, finding where it is, unpacking it, using it, putting it wow. back. And, you know, I, I think that's unfortunate because you really don't get to experience the collection, um, mm-hmm. dynamically but it you know it, it just is what it is so you know it's 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 something that is is a a an issue that a collector faces and mm-hmm. sometimes you you just have a different solutions um to the problem um are there any um moments when you find that um you know i know you're active in terms of shooting collecting uh do you ever find yourself acquiring a camera that knowingly um is not functioning and you it has no intention of being used just for the purpose of having it for display yeah um i have quite a few like that um but nowadays it would it it really what factors in for that is 
price because if I'm not going to use it, I'm not going to pay a crazy price for it. Mm -hmm. So that kind of really informs my decision nowadays <laughs> is the price. So if I can get, if something's going to sit on my shelf, it needs to be decorator price. Um, like I have a, it's a 126 camera, I think the Instamatic type, it's lady mm -hmm. carefree. Um, I just always loved the way it looked. And again, the, the female connection to it. Um, and I think I paid $10 for it, but I, I knew I wouldn't be able to shoot with that. It's broken. And, but I just wanted it for display purposes because it was pretty. <laughs> so there are moments. I, I understand. Um, are there uh, any specific models or cameras in your collection that represent a, 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 a moment in, in your collecting process that, um, you find, um, you know, represent something special um you know, something along those lines something that that you that's visceral that you can look at this camera and say this is the camera that represented this moment in my life or something along those lines yeah i have um my canon rebel eos uh rebel g um i, I that's the camera that i bought after my dad passed away i because it looked like his. I sold it. And then um, recently, I think it was Mike Novak who gave it to me. Uh, I think it was him. Um, and so that one, you know, makes me think of that time. Or um, cameras that, uh, you know, friends have given me, those are very special to me, like uh, the Fed 2 from Mike Ekman, or my Pentax Emmy Super from Alex Lux, or, you know, so those, those really are special to me, because they were given to me by people of the community. It's nice. It's nice that you, you know, you have that support system. That's terrific. And I can see how each one of those cameras represents something very special in, yeah. in your process. Um, are there any specific cameras at this point um, that you really hope to acquire uh, to add to the collection? Um, at this point, I don't think I really have a grail camera. I think um, I would love one day to try a Mamiya 7 just for the ease of it, you know, in small and medium format. But I, honestly, I think if I could have one camera um, that I could find, it would be the camera my dad used. I, for some reason over the years, cannot remember what it was, <laughs> what, what it was that he shot with. I don't know what happened. My memory's kind of spotty. Um, I did know it at one point, but if I could find a picture of him with it, that would be my grail camera. If I could find what he used, you know, that would probably mean the most to me. I understand. I understand. Well, I hope that someday um you know you have that recollection that would be really, yeah. <laughs> uh, a special thing to be able to to have uh, as part of your collection when you when you look at your your collection overall um are there any particular cameras that you um think of that really challenge the process that is um you know force you to struggle either with the phot photographic process or at least um, challenge you when you're out there making images? Um, I think the, um, it's actually not in my collection, but when Mike lent me the Exacta, um, I think it was the VX, I don't remember which model, he'll have to correct me, but that was so challenging for some reason. Um, the ergonomics were so different from what I was used to. And uh, because I was reviewing it, I wanted to try the slow speeds and all that stuff. And for some reason, it was so challenging and, and it ended up I it ended up being like the most frustrating camera I ever used, but also um, I got some of my favorite pictures using it. So that's interesting, I guess, you know. 
definitely and, and beautiful cameras and oh, you know, yes. when, you, when you talk about them in terms of aesthetics you know they really stand out um uh from a design standpoint and from a historical standpoint but i, I certainly um understand the level of frustration um you know uh exact as not only are they uh, they left-hand shooters mm -hmm. but you know that slow speed process is mm -hmm. complex yes. and it's not the kind of camera where you can just pick it up and just start shooting you actually need to look through the manual and make sure that oh, yeah. is, is connected and working right and things like that but once you have it going boy mm -hmm. is it really an interesting camera to work with um you yeah. have that flexibility of the waist level finder or the the prism finder um it's really yeah i mean i think that's an interesting camera to kind of pinpoint for for challenging the process mm -hmm. um let's go to the other end of that spectrum um which camera uh, in your collection really oversimplifies the whole thing makes it so easy that it almost uh takes the magic away from the process I think the Canon Rebel EOS, <laughs> because it's, to me, it represents the step before the digital cameras came um, and everything's automatic, you know, and I don't necessarily like the results I get with it. It's mostly just nostalgic because it's the first ever camera I used, mm -hmm. but yeah, it definitely, or even a compact camera, you know, they very, very oversimplified. You don't have to do anything um, really, but, but it's also though, those kinds of cameras do if you want to have good results, they do kind of challenge you to get more creative because then you do have to really think about what you're shooting because, you know, the camera's not going to do it. <laughs> the camera's just making everything easy for you. Mm -hmm. So you can go both ways. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's a good philosophy. You know, we, we look at, um, um, you know, uh, shooters like that. We look at um, um, those automatic cameras and things of that nature. And, we don't realize that there is the potential for helping you to explore um, avenues that are, uh, you know, aesthetically challenging and, you know, really force you to really look at the frame and things like that. So, you know, I think that there is something in having those cameras as part of the, the photographic process. Um, when you are, are looking at your, your, your collection in terms of aesthetics, what camera kind of stands out as the most attractive? Um, I think the Rolleiflex, I think it's just so, such a beautiful camera. So well-made and uh, like so much, like you even said with the box, everything, there was so much thought put into them. Um, so I think really the, the Rolleiflex Automat, the one I have is, I think the yeah, most beautiful, beautiful in my collection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I also have, um, the original, the Rolleiflex original my girlfriend bought me or my fiance bought me and, um, so, I mean, even that one, which is the earliest, it's still, I just, I don't know. There's something about it. <laughs> they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have no argument from me. I mean, they're, they're yeah. certainly um, uh, really the design uh, mm -hmm. and what, what they represent in terms of the manufacturing pinpoint. Um, there's, there's a lot to be said for how those cameras present themselves. Um, aesthetically mm -hmm. um let's let's how about uh, the reverse of that which camera are there any that you simply look at scratch your head in terms of uh aesthetics um let me think i'm looking at my collection uh aesthetics not really i, I don't know i'm in love with every camera <laughs> mm -hmm. i love all cameras maybe like the canon tx it's very simple 
um, just a TL, you know, an SLR. So I don't know. There's nothing fancy about it. Maybe, maybe that. <laughs> I, I understand. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you scan your collection you, and the ones that stand out that are really gorgeous, you know, that you connect mm-hmm. with and you feel like you, it's almost like your eye just stops on them. Yeah. And, and the ones that are just sort of kind of, they fall into the background. (laughs) There's still something beautiful about them, but they're just, there's Mm -hmm. not something that just kind of pushes them to the front. Uh, I understand completely. Um, Any, any, um, uh, I I like to ask if there's any half frames in the collection. Have you used any? Yeah. I have the Olympus pen FT. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love that camera. It's such a nice nice camera. camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not crazy about half frame, but it's a beautiful camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting uh, sort of phenomenon that allows you to explore a different aspect of the photographic process and work with something which is, you know, it's really different. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that, to be said for that as a format, and it's so interesting that it, it became so um, popular at a specific time in in photography. It's got some something of a resurgence now. Um, so, yeah. uh, but that's the camera certainly to have, if you're going to shoot half frame, that gives yeah. you the most flexibility. Um, any, do you adapt any, any lenses to that camera? Um, no, I haven't gotten into that. I need to, I, w- I would love to explore that more, uh, lenses and all that. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I didn't, when I first started, I didn't know much about glass. Like I heard that expression first from Bill Smith from the classic camera revival. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought to myself, I have never even thought about lenses. All I've been focusing on is cameras. <laughs> so I'm kind of getting into it recently more finding out all the lenses out there. There's so many. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, well, I don't really take have... You. Yeah, that'll take you down a whole different thing. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, and as as a shooter, certainly that's something that um you know that that gives another or lends another avenue um, mm-hmm. towards the creative process to start um, um you know using different lenses on different cameras and things like that. Um, yeah. So I guess we sort of come to the to the final sort of big question uh, of our of our chat here, um, you know, and I prompt this with. Uh, the notion that film prices are rising, availability, all of this. But as a collector, if if you were faced with this reality that some for some reason there were no more film in the world, um, simply didn't exist, um, what would be your response to that? Would would the would the collection would the collecting just stop, or or what exactly would would that mean for you as a collector? at the end of the world (laughs) um i probably would just go back to the way i was collecting before um collecting for aesthetic again and historical reasons um hopefully i would have a lot of film stored up somewhere (laughs) in a fridge but um yeah i don't think i would ever stop i think i if it ever came to like if i had to sell my collection that would be really hard to choose and things like that but um, if there was no film, I think I would just go back to what I was doing and collecting them for the, for just for the love of it, just for the look. I understand. Well, I mean, I, I can certainly identify with that. Um, you know, and I think that that's a, uh, a, a healthy and positive attitude because it means that the notion of the film camera can sort of continue and can exist yeah. and we could, um, acknowledge it and and celebrate it for what it represents in terms of its historical representation as an icon um 
And, and I, I appreciate your, your candor. Um, well, this has been, you know, really interesting. Uh, Ali, I, I, I so much enjoy this conversation because, you know, getting a chance to talk to you um, really um, gave me some insight into not only photography, but also how um, photography and camera collecting can help to, um, you know, energize an individual. Uh, yeah, give a person definitely. a place where they can sort of jump into a world where they can tap into uh, the the personal um, um, uh, feeling and uh, 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 of of collecting cameras, but also to be a part of a community through outreach. And yeah. uh, and I think that's really important that you've been able to connect with your listeners, to your readers, and to create a community there. Where, where not only you're providing, but it sounds like the community is, is also, you know, looking at you and saying, hey, you know, we want to help you to present ideas and reviews and support you with, you know, try this camera out, see what you think, let me know what you think. And it's that kind of give and take that really, really um, uh, holds the film photography community up. <clears throat> And, yeah. and, and, and I think that's something to appreciate and to acknowledge. So um, thank you. speaking with you, well, thank you. I mean, I think it's been, it's been really insightful and um, certainly um, a joy to speak with you today. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed me. it. Well, I enjoyed speaking with you. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a delight. And um, I certainly wish you the best with everything that's going on in your life. Um, I think that obviously there's some exciting things ahead for you. And mm -hmm. I hope that uh, we get to see more from you in terms of film photography, your work. Um, if there are any cameras that get added to that collection, mm -hmm. um, we would certainly love to see the, um, the, the result of that. And um, uh, we, I wish you the best. So thank, you, thank so you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this. Well, thank you, Allie, and um, we will uh, be back with more from the Ephemeral Machine. And we are back, and you're listening to the Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. I want to thank my guest, Allie Chiarello, for spending some time this episode chatting about camera collecting and the photographic process. It was so refreshing to discuss her process and not only revel in her successes, but gain true insight into her journey to wellness as she shouldered against her love of cameras and photography for support during a very difficult time in her life. I wish her the best of health and happiness as she embarks on a new and passionate chapter in her life. Thank you again for joining me on my own journey into the world of camera collecting. And I will see you again for the next episode of The Ephemeral Machine.